Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. This is a very special edition of Parsha Perspectives for today because we are in the middle of the Boker Tov Synagogue Global Community Campaign. Whether you're living locally, you're part of the BRS community physically, or you're living at a distance and you're unable to participate physically, but you're part of the greater global BRS community, this is the opportunity to give back, to say thank you, and to be part of our community. First, I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors for the year. Our dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, we don't take your sponsorship for granted. Thank you so much for your generosity and loving memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, David ben Menachem Monash, whose year type will be next week. And this morning class in particular is sponsored by David and Shoshi Meyerfeld on the Shloshim of her beloved father, Zev Goldfisher, Zev ben Yosef Halevi, who was such a pillar of the Elizabeth community and had such an impact there. Thank you as well for your generosity and your sponsorship. As I mentioned this morning, special opportunity for the Parsha Perspective listeners live. If you express your generosity, your gratitude, your appreciation, and your participation in our global community during the next hour, during our Parsha class, if you donate $100 or more to our campaign, you are automatically entered into a raffle for a $180 Amazon gift card. You could almost double your money. And either way, get a tax deduction and a MICER deduction. And either way, show gratitude and be part of a growing online global community. Go to brsonline.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. Join BRS Plus, the online global community, and we will acknowledge you in the scroll on the bottom of the shear during the shear, and you will automatically be entered into the raffle. And so I thank you in advance for showing your appreciation. Those who listen to the Parsha class and who benefit each and every week, I thank you for uh, showing your appreciation and being part of this and being part of this effort. Okay, Parsha's Mishpatim begins on page 416 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, and it begins the following, These are the laws that I place before you. And these are the laws that I place before you. Every child going to school has learned in school. Every young child has been corrected by their parents to know that you cannot begin a sentence with the word and. You don't begin a sentence with the word and. So how does the Torah get away with it? Hashem Almighty, the great grammarian in the sky, how in the world does he begin a sentence with and? First question is it should be not so what is the Vav coming to Erebe Salavechik and the great Rav Chumash of the OU addresses this question. We're going to come from three perspectives. The Rav, we're going to see the perspective of Rav Druk, we're going to come from the perspective of Rav Simcha Bunim Pshischa, and then I'm going to offer you my own. So it begins the Rav. Following the giving of the Aser Sadibras, the Torah should have proceeded immediately with chapter Chavdala, chapter 24, in which Hashem tells Moshe to seal the covenant with the people. It's followed by the construction of the Mishkan, Pasha's Truman Tetzave, the required step to fulfilling the divine promise of when we come out of Egypt and we come to the mountain, Har Sinai. And finally, there's a return to the story of Revelation, the episode of, of course, the Egel Azav, the Golden Calf. Pasha Mishpatim represents a dramatic departure from these themes, says the Rav. I don't understand. A moment ago, we were on Har Sinai. A moment ago, it was Ni'ilah. It was the greatest Klumsitz. A moment ago, we were on the spiritual high. And now, Pashas Mishpatim, this major, major dramatic departure and deviation from the track we were on. We were on this track of holiness and sanctity and spirituality, of being moved and being uplifted. And all of a sudden, we're talking about the laws of Nezikin, the laws of damages, the laws of civil law, criminal law, tort law. What are we doing here? Apparently, Parshas Mishpatim is an interpretation of the Aser Sadibra, says the Rav. Without Parshas Mishpatim, there cannot be a Goy Kadosh and Mamleches Kohanim. Almost all the fundamental principles of the mitzvahs may be found here, says the Rav. The reason Parshas Yisro continues with Mishpatim, and the reason there's a Vav, a Vav Achibor, connecting the two, is to tell me that Parshas Mishpatim, which is the framework for civil law, the Torah addresses not only our religious or our spiritual selves, it doesn't just tell me how to connect with faith and optimism and spirituality, but the Torah is telling me what it means to be part of a mamlachas konim and goy kadosh in my everyday mundane life. If I shuckle in shul, if I have the longest shmona esrei, if I say all oh, say for tell him, but that I'm ruthless in business and I fail to hold the door, I don't say please and thank you. I'm unkind. I cut corners. I don't pay my taxes honestly. I damage someone, but I don't compensate. I don't own up. I walk away. I don't know how to get along with others. If I don't follow, if I don't execute in practice in everyday life, all that supposedly I stand for and I've learned that Har Sinai, that Har Sinai is not really realized. So the Vav Achibar, that Vav Ve'ela Mishpatim Shazer Rabbi Salavechik, why should the Torah care about the situation of a paid or unpaid watchman? 
Parshas Mishpatim discusses the issues of kinyanim, acquisitions, and chazakos, and shtar. These monetary issues would seem to be out of place in a moral code. The conclusion then is that a civil law carries religious significance. Destruction of property and trespassing are not merely violations of civil law. They are moral transgressions. It says the Rav Mishpatim, which is all about interpersonal law, which is all about damages and all about financial responsibilities, is not separate and apart and distinct from my religious life and religious personality, but they're all integrated, they all overlap, they're all connected, and that's why there is the Vav HaChibor. That's why there is the Vav HaChibor. In fact, the last Mishnah of Baba Basra by Salavitchik points out that if one wishes to become a Tamachacham, he should study the civil monetary laws. You want to become a Chassid, you want to become a Tamachacham, you have to learn and master the Mili de Nizikin. The study of these topics sharpens the mind, allows development of precision and depth. The study of Nizikin inspires the one who studies, helping him develop the intuition and intellect. It's a special capacity which the Almighty implanted in Hilchus Nizikin that inspires about the emotional and intellectual level. The best form of the Rishonim and Achron were in the area of Nizikin. And so it's not like, why are we studying this dry area of law? I want to be immersed in his bodedus and his bonanus. I want to talk about Amun and Bitachon and Dvekas and Chasidus, all of which I also want to talk about and learn and try to teach. However, it must transmit, it must translate, it must be executed in our everyday real life. We must bring it into the real world. It can't be something that exists only in theory and concept and in abstract. I can't be on Harsinai and be living the principles of wanting to talk about God. I've got to take it with me and go out into the world, bring it with me, execute on it, and put it into and put it into practice. Thank you, Robert Friedman, for your sponsorship. Everybody, take a moment in the middle of the past this year. Normally, we run a campaign called Friends of BRS, and every year we've raised tens of thousands of dollars for those who attend in person who aren't members of BRS, who give $180 in order to be a friend of BRS with the benefits that it brings. Obviously, we have that don't have that ability to be in person, but we still need your help. We need your support. Frankly, we need it in order to continue to teach and share the inspiration, and I dare say you need it in order to show the gratitude and not just be somebody who takes, who listens, who learns without contributing, participating, or doing your part. So again, in the next uh, now 15 minutes as we learn together, if you take a moment and hit the donate button, if you take a moment, be on, go on brsonline.org slash global, $100 or more donation, although you can give any amount, that donation will enter you into a $180 raffle. You can make your money right back. So that is Rabbi Soloveitchik. Vav Achibor Ve'ela Mishpatim. Parshas Yisro, seminal event, Harsinai smoke. We saw the sounds. It moved us. It was amazing. It uplifted us. We had goosebumps. We laughed. We cried. And then civil law, tort law? Yeah, because that's where it's executed. You can't only leave it in theory. Rav Druk also tackles this issue. And Rav Druk says the following. Rav Druk says the following. He says, "Ve'ela mishpatim asher tasim lefnehem." Amal Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rashi quotes, "Amal Hakadosh Baruch Hu." Lamoshe, the Almighty said to Moshe, "Lo sale al daid chalom mar eshna lehem a perak va'alacha bezu gimel pa'amim asher ties dur bepiim kemishdana ve'eni matriach atzim lavinam tamei adaver perusho." Don't think to yourself, "I'll teach it. I'll deposit it a couple times, but I don't have to actually. Um, I don't have to actually go through the great effort of explaining it to them and organizing it." Lekach nemar asher tasim. These are the laws. And it doesn't just say these are the laws. These are the law. Now continue. Give out the laws. What are these words doing here? These are the laws that you're placing before them. Where else would the laws go? Of course the laws go before them. Where else do the laws go? So says Rashi, we're all famous. We all are familiar with it because it's the book that is the greatest authority that communicates Jewish law called the Shulchan Aruch of Yosef Kar in the 16th century when he decides he's going to organize what he had previously offered as his commentary on the Torah called the Beis Yosef. And yet, people were not studying the Beis Yosef. Very intricate, very detailed, very complex. So he summarized his Beis Yosef into a book and he writes in the introduction to that book. Listen carefully. He writes in the introduction to the Shulchan Aruch that you'll be able to review the entire code of Jewish law once a year. And that's why he condensed and consolidated, he summarized his entire Beis Yosef into Shulchan Aruch, because you'd be able to review the entire Shulchan Aruch once a year. Why did he call that book Shulchan Aruch? A Shulchan Aruch means a set table. Why did he call it the set table? Because of this Rashi. Rashi says, Asher Tassim Lefnei, because of our Parsha, Parshas Mishpatim, a set table. Take the laws, organize them, make them clear, make them accessible, and present them Display them, distribute them, like 
a set table that one is ready to eat from. And one does Rav Drukinim, the same way that you put out you put out platters of food, the same way that you serve someone, you set up the buffet, the same one you have a set table, and one does Rav Druk a wonderful question. Why is the Torah compared? Why is the teaching or transmission of Jewish law compared to a set table, to a great banquet? What, what, was, what was Rashi getting at? What were our rabbis getting at? Hey, Moshe, don't get away with the bare minimum. Don't just deposit the information and those who understand it will understand it and those who don't, tough noogies. Take the time, understand it, and present it. Robert Friedman, you are in the lead to win the raffle. So far, you are a shoe. And is anyone going to give him a, a run-in? $100 or more, got $180. Tax deductible, gratitude, appreciation, member of the BRS global community with benefits. What are you all waiting for? Press donate, come online and join and be part of this. So why is the description for a Tamachacham to make the effort to present it clearly? Why is that compared to a set table and to food? Listen to this, Rav Druk. I love this insight. A powerful, powerful insight. Nero Lavar, Shine David Amalch Nasan Eitzah Ketlus Kor Devrei Torah. David Amalch says, "You know how you can remember Devrei Torah? Liolam Lo Eshkach Pikudecha Kivamchi Yisani." If you ever attempted a siyum in the siyum, this is in the in the text, the liturgy of the siyum that's recited at a siyum on a mesechta, on a seder, on shas, on mishnah, on gemara. Liolam Lo Eshkach Pikudecha. David Amalch Tehillim Kufiyotes One Nineteen. It actually was yesterday's Tehillim. David Amalch says, Liolam Forever Lo Eshkach May I Not Forget Pikudecha Your Instructions, Your Manual, Your Torah. Why Kibam Chisani? Because it is what gives me life. I can't forget to breathe. If I forget to breathe, I'm dead. I can't forget to eat. If I forget to eat, I'm dead. If I forget to learn, if I don't set aside time for learn, Howard Gans, thank you for your generous support. If I don't set aside time to learn, how can I live? The answer is, whatever you know you need to live, you don't ever, ever forget. In fact, breathing is a natural response. When is the last time that you had to stop and think about breathing? The people who, God forbid, get corona, God forbid, have to wear a device to track their oxygen and to ensure that they're able to breathe deeply, they're acutely aware of the quality of their breath each and every moment. God forbid it should, God forbid it should go down. But a healthy person, an otherwise healthy person, never even pauses or hesitates or thinks about or contemplates. Such a person doesn't have to think even for a moment about breathing. It's a natural response to breathe. We know we have to breathe. If you don't breathe, you can't live person doesn't go days without eating and go, oh, I forgot to plug in my phone and I forgot to eat. No, you know that you need to. Some people are more aware of the battery level on their phone than whether they've eaten. But a healthy person knows whether they've eaten, whether they've eaten healthy foods, and so on and so forth. So, so therefore, that's what David HaMelech was saying. Let me get to the point, God, that learning your Torah is so fundamental, so axiomatic, so natural, so instinctive, so necessary that I realize that without it, I'll die. Without it, I'll die. Because the things that I know that without which I'll die, I don't even have to think about. I just do. The Rambam writes in Hilchas Rotseach, why do we send somebody who kills by accident and goes to a near Miklat the Rebbe comes with them. The Rebbe comes with them. The whole Shir comes with them. Why? Because it says that we have to provide the person life. So for some people, life is, I need my flat screen TV. I need my Netflix code. I need my Hulu. I need my uh, all-you-can-eat sushi. But for every one of us, what should be natural to I need for life and I can't live without is Torah. Is Torah. I need it. I need it. I'm not alive. Uh, if there's a day that goes by that I haven't been able to learn, it's not the same day. You don't have the same energy level. You don't have the same life force. You don't feel the same way that you're alive. So says Rav Druk, maybe that's what's going on here. This is Hashem's instruction to Moshe. You are the ambassador, the agent. You are the great teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu. Go teach Torah. So in order for a person to have the right attitude and the right access, to have the right relationship with Torah, a person has to feel it's like a Shulchan Aruch. Just like when I come to the table, I'm drawn to the food. I'm hungry. I have an appetite. I'm drawn. I want to eat. Thank you, Linda and Jeff Miller. Thank you, Anonymous. Thank you, Bracha Kaplan. Thank you, Sam S. Thank you, all those who are stepping up. 
Join them. Please, everybody do your part. Be a friend of BRS. Be part of the BRS global community. So just like the food, I have this appetite. I'm drawn to eat it. And I know that I can't live without it. So too Torah, we have to have the same perspective. And that's why when we think about the code of Jewish law, it is like a shulchan arach. You walk into a set table. Mmm, delicious. I can't wait to dig in. I'm hungry. I can't wait to dig in. I know I need to eat it to live. You know, I've said before, you ever come home late from a business trip? Came home late from uh, uh, traveling. You came home late from work and you can get a chance to eat dinner. And you're exhausted. You're ready to collapse. You're passing out. And yet, you say, you know, I never had dinner. So on my way to bed, I'm going to open the fridge, the pantry, and I've got to eat something on my way to bed. Because even though my exhaustion far outweighs my appetite, still, a person needs to eat. You can't go to sleep without eating dinner. Even though I'm more tired than I am hungry, you can't go to sleep without eating dinner. So a person finds a way to eat even before they go to bed. Torah, Kalvachomer, all the more so, deal. If a person didn't get an opportunity to learn that day, you didn't get a chance for whatever reason, no matter how many times you tried, you didn't get the chance to learn that day, then even if you're exhausted, before you can collapse in bed, you must take a moment to learn some Torah. You must, because Torah is Bamchi, Sunny. It's our life force. It's our oxygen. Thank you, Baruch Kaplan. Thank you, CMS. Thank you, Barbara Osband. Thank you very much, Barbara Osband, for your generosity. Greatly appreciated. So that's why Torah and learning Torah is likened to a Shulchan Aruch. It is a set table that is put out before us. It's a set table that we have access to, and we're supposed to have the same exact attitude. Shulchan Aruch, Adam. The same way, I don't have to be told I need to eat. Most of us have to be told, stop eating. You're full. You've had enough. That's not nutritious. Most of us don't have to be told to eat. We have to be told to stop eating. Torah, halavai, someone would ever have to tell us, stop learning. We should never stop learning. We should have the same draw, the same appetite, the same instinct, the same desire. Rasim Chabunim has a fascinating. Rasim Chabunim of Peshischa says something so beautiful. He says, asher tasim lifnehem. Listen to the words of Rasim Chabunim of Peshischa. He says, when it comes to the Shulchan Aruch, it comes to the Code of Jewish Law. Code of Jewish Law is telling us how to wake up in the morning until how do we fall asleep at night. Code of Jewish Law is telling us how to eat, how to speak, how to do business, how to tie my shoes, how to do it governs and regulates every aspect of my life to lead towards a more mindful and meaningful Jewish life. That has to be the forefront of my mind. So it says, that's what the Pasuk is telling you. These laws, these rules of God, this formula, this blueprint, this instruction manual for life. Where should you place it? Where does it belong? You got a new computer, you got a new dishwasher, you got a new refrigerator. It came with an instruction manual. You probably never took it out of the plastic. Maybe if you're really well organized, you put it in a file somewhere. If you're like most people, it sat in a pile somewhere. And eventually when you realize you're never going to look at it and you can find it online, you throw it out and you never ever read it. It sits somewhere in the back and the recesses, the bottom of a pile, ends up in the bottom of the garbage. It's an instruction manual. I'll figure it out on my own. I'll only maybe benefit from 50% of what it could do, but... I don't need it to do more, so I'll figure it out on my own, and the instruction manual goes somewhere in the back. God forbid a person should get the Torah and say, you know what, God, thank you for the manual. It's in the plastic. I appreciate it. I'm going to figure it out on my own life. I'll figure out my relationship with food and time and with people. I'll figure it all out on my own. No. This is the blueprint, the manual. This is how to live life. This is the instructions to mindfulness and meaningfulness. And Asher Tassim, where does it have to be? Lifnei hem. Lifnei kol inyan acher. It has to come before anything else. So Allah tells me this is how I have to conduct myself. Allah regulates me in this way. Who cares what society tells me? Who cares what my own instinct tells me? Who cares what the fashion or the culture of the time tells me? That's not what I follow. What I need to follow are the mishpatim that are placed where? Lifnehem, before anything else. Unlike in the glove compartment and unlike the vacuum cleaner manual and unlike all the other instruction manuals that I never open and I try to figure it out on my own, the instruction manual called Torah has to be Lifnehem first and foremost. It has to be before me. It has to inform and inspire my day, my life, my attitude, my joy, my relationships. It has to move me to 
to express gratitude to those who benefit me, to do my part, to participate, like all those who've given so far this morning. And again, I'm going to keep pounding. I apologize. But look, the shear is free 51 weeks a year. One week, we ask you to do your part. It's a pretty small price to pay in order to have access not to me, but to the beautiful Divrei Torah that we're sharing from others. Again, so many of you have joined Friends of BRS in the past. Take a moment, press the donate button, go on brsonline.org slash global. If you do it right now during the rest of this year, in the next 40 minutes, you're entered into a raffle. Who wouldn't want to be? You can be a hero and give a $108 Amazon gift card to your grandchildren. You'll be the Bubby or the Zadie of the year. Okay, one last thought of Eilam Mishpatim because we have to get past the opening Pasuk this morning. Eilam Mishpatim. These are the laws. Immediately following this transmission, Sinai, as we mentioned, Moshe continues with civil law, criminal law, tort law, religious law and laws and statutes that Judaism is not the only one who has these laws and statutes. Every legal system in the world since antiquity, earlier and beyond, have legal statutes. Damages and loans and all kinds of rules. And in fact, many of the laws that we're going to read this week overlap with American law and many or most legal systems. Liability that you have for damages, what are the rules of, of watching, the consequences of capital crimes, payment for theft, acts of self-defense, um, shared values, and these are shared laws, but there's something fundamentally different about halacha, fundamentally different about the way it's uh, instructed to us in our parsha. Ve'ela ha-mishpatim, the vav And Rashi quotes the mechilta. Ma'ari shonam yisinai, af elu misinai. That just like the first Ten Commandments find their source in Harsinai, they were divinely transmitted, so to the totality of Jewish law. Not only was Sinai, uwah, not only that amazing kumzitz, that ni'ila, not only when I felt Hashem in my kishkas, but... Each and every detail of the law was given by Hashem. And Rashi continues by explaining the juxtaposition of the passages. It teaches that the Sanhedrin, that the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, in fact, was located near the Beis Amikdash, in the Beis Amikdash, on the Temple Mount, on Harabais itself. And the Medrash traditionally understood that in Judaism we don't distinguish between religion and law. Like the Rav said, that religion is not just while I'm in shul or while I'm in the base Medrash. Religion informs and inspires. It regulates how I conduct myself at the gym and at work and in my kitchen, in my home, on the street, and in all and every area and aspect of life. But I think there's another layer here. Secular legal systems are constructed, they're given, they're designed from the perspective of the individual. If you think about it, American law is structured to speak about and to protect my rights and my entitlements and my privileges and my freedoms. The law is designed to provide them and to protect them and I'm held accountable if I violate my own rights or I violate through my conduct the rights of other people. Pasha's Mishpatim is communicating something else. That even though we have many laws that overlap with the secular law, they come from a very different perspective. They're not from the perspective of rights and entitlements, but rather they're from the perspective of responsibilities, obligations, and duties. Only the Jewish legal system has a mitzvah, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Only has don't cause pain to the stranger. Only says you have to extend a free loan. And you can't walk by, you have to return a lost object. In American law, I'm a good American if I don't murder and I don't steal and I don't rape and I don't pillage, which doesn't in fact make me good, it just means I'm not bad. To be good Jew, you have to actually be good. You have to be good. In American law, you're not a nice person if you're mean to the widow or the orphan, but in Torah law, God himself in our parsha promises and pledges to exact retribution, to take justice if you are cruel, if you aggravate or agitate a widow or an orphan. So you see, the Torah vision is not limited to creating this functional civil society, some social contract. It is a blueprint, a blueprint for God's vision for how the world is meant to be and how we are to conduct in it. And so I'd like to suggest to you that maybe what the Medrash is telling us is that Parshat Mishpatim is not a set of laws to serve God. It is a set of laws to be like God. It's not a set of laws to serve God. It is a set of laws to imitate and to be like God. God is not centered on himself and his rights and his entitlements and his privileges. He selflessly is devoted to give and do good for us. And Parshat Mishpatim is a blueprint. It is a description. It's a vision for how we can live a life of virtue, a life of giving, a life of responsibility, a life of a life of fulfilling a fulfilling a mission of why we are here. It's an entirely and totally different perspective. And by the way, it's one which is the the source or the very definition of what simcha is all about. 
we're going to celebrate Rosh Chodesh Adar this Friday in Shabbos. Mishenichnas Adar Mar Ben B'Simcha. We're going to talk more about that momentarily. But Mishenichnas Adar, when the month of Adar enters, Mishenichnas Adar Alef Dar. We mentioned at the beach Friday morning at our Friday morning sunrise minute at the beach. Mishenichnas when we enters inside us Adar Alef Dar. The Aluf, the Aluf is the one and only is God Almighty. So when God enters us, when we see Him and feel Him and live Him and love Him. When that sense, when that attitude of Alav Dar enters us, we're overcome, we're filled with joy. Because instead of stumbling or struggling through life, instead of trying to navigate and make sense, we have confidence that this meaning, this purpose, it's all organized, it's all for a reason, it's all for Adar. then we are Mar Ben Besimcha. But what really is Simcha? And where does Simcha come from? Simcha in Judaism, joy, is not a feeling, it's a decision. And Simcha, joy, is not being the recipient, the taker who gets, thank you to the Newcombs and the Cyclic family and another anonymous and another anonymous for your generosity. Please keep giving, please keep contributing. Everyone do your part. Just click the donate button or join brsonline.org global. Simcha is not when I turn inward and it's not when I buy and it's not when I get and it's not when I shop and it's not when I take. Simcha is when I give. Listen to this Rambam in Hilchus Megillah. The Rambam writes in Hilchus Megillah, Mutav la'adam, let's say I have a choice and I share this each and every year, but I have a choice I have a limited amount of funds and I can either buy more expensive wine, a greater cut of corned beef for my Purim Suda, or I can give more for Matanos Levionim. I can give more away to those who need. Which one should I do? More elaborate Mishloch Manos, a greater theme to my Mishloch Manos, a more over-the-top costume, a more over-the-top Suda, or, or do I give more Matanos Levionim, more to help other people? Listen to the Rambam. Better if you have limited resources to give more, allocate more to help those who need than it is to indulge in yourself. Now, I would have thought the reason is because to be a good person, care about others. And so limit your simcha. Be willing to compromise or diminish your joy in order to provide joy for others. Thank you to the Bash family for your generosity. But that is not what the Rambam writes. What he writes is, listen to this, listen carefully. It's not that you should diminish or be willing to compromise or sacrifice your joy to provide joy for others. It's that the greatest joy you could have is to give others. Because joy comes from giving, not receiving. Joy comes by being on a mission. Joy comes by duties, responsibilities, obligations, not rights and entitlements. And therefore, you'll have more joy when you share. We don't have time, but in fact, study after study has shown this. They took a group, they divided it in half, they gave money. Half they said, go buy something for yourself. And half they said, go buy something for someone else. And they measured emotional, spiritual, physical well-being afterwards. And they found that the group who allocated at least a portion of the money they received to buy something for someone else, in fact, they were happier. They were calmer. They were better off than the people who bought only for themselves. Says the Rambam, if you have limited resources, spend it on others, not because you should be willing to compromise your simcha, but rather because that is the source, the driver of simcha is your willingness to share with others. It's a message. So instead of more elaborate or sophisticated or trying to impress or compete mishloch manos or costume or suda or wine or corned beef, allocate and help others. And this is a perfect opportunity to be part of the Biras Online global community. Join now. Thank you to those who are given throughout, especially now during these next 32 minutes. You'll be entered into a raffle. There is no time like the present to pl- click donate and to be part of this mission. Okay, we move on. Perech Pasuk, hey. So of course, Pasuk Mishpatim begins with the story of the Evet Ivri. Why is this the very first story, the Evet Ivri? So much to say, we don't have time. But why is this the very first story? Hardly romantic or passionate hardly inspirational, the story of the slave, someone who stole and didn't have the money to pay it back, and so they have to sell themselves into slavery, and even though their term is up, they decide to remain, and so we pierce the ear. Perech avalf pasuk hey. So what if the servant finishes their term, the Eved Ivri, and they say, but I love my master, and I love my living situation, and I love the food, and I love the home. I don't want to go anywhere. So what do we do? Uh, we bring the individual to the court. Here, Elohim is not God, but it means the court, the judges. We take him to the door. We bring him to the door, the doorpost, and we make a hole in his ear. Everybody is familiar with this 
everybody is familiar with this halacha. So what's going on over here? Why do we why do we put a hole in his uh, ear? Why specifically in his ear? So we all know the Gemara condition of Chav Beis. Amar Biochan ben Zakai, O Zenzo Shashama al Arsinai, Lo Signovalo, the Halach Beganav. This individual, this ear that was present at Harsinai in just last week's parsha, and heard the Almighty say among the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, you cannot steal, and he went and stole. And now he doesn't have the means to pay it back. How could this individual steal after God said, don't steal? And that's why we choose the ear. I might have said, tattoo it across the forehead. I might have said, pierce the eyebrow or the nose or one of the other really new places that you can apparently pierce on the face or the body. Why do we pierce specifically the ear? So Rashi's quotes the Gemara and Kedushan that tells us, because that ear, the ear that heard, don't steal, and it went and stole. And now he sold himself. But God said, that there's only one form of slavery in this world. The only form of mastery, the only form of being a servant, a slave, is to God. And this individual went and sold himself into slavery. Tirza, such an individual's ear has to be has to be pierced. and wonders of Druk. Last week we just read that at our Sinai, how is it described? The whole nation saw the sounds. I am, I won't tell you how old I am and how many years I've learned Parshas Bishpatim and how many times I focused on this Rashi and I can't believe I never thought of this question. Ever. I wonder how many of you ever thought of this question. The sounds at Harsinai were described not by the sense of hearing or listening, not that we heard the sounds, but rather we saw the sounds. So just one week Parsha, now we're talking about piercing an ear. Why? Because the very ear that heard, don't steal and went and stole, in Kain Sarf Bir, Mau Ozen Sheshama, it should have been the ear that saw at Harsinai, don't steal. We didn't deal with it last week in the Parsha class, though many of you were with us last week, and that's why you should contribute and be part and show appreciation for listening each and every week and be entered into a raffle. I feel like I'm uh, a broken record over here. Take a moment, press donate, do your part, please, thank you. Um, the ear that heard at Harsinai, what do you mean the ear that heard? It says, which... Ibn Ezra says means that the Torah was broadcast to look like a billboard. Others say that God spoke, it came so alive. They were able to picture and envision the lifestyle that was being described. However you're going to understand, however you're going to explain the words, however you're going to explain it, however you're going to explain it, shouldn't in this week's Parsha, when you talk about the ear, it should be the ear that saw, not the ear that heard. And furthermore, the Pasukil Ibn Israel Avadim, where does that appear? When Hashem says, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, your only serves, your only serve me, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. Where does that Pasuk appear? It appears in Parshas Bahar. So even though all Torah was given in Harsinai, this statement, this clause, this expression of God, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, that wasn't said till later, to Parshas Bahar. So why is the Gemara, why are Rashi referencing it right now? What in the world is going on? Wonders Rav Druk. I never wondered it before. I'm so grateful for his Sefer Eish Tamid. He says the following, Yesh la'ayin b'masha amar Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Halobir lo signo of Kasav Rashi. Furthermore, you could ask another question. The ear that heard at Harsinai don't steal lo signov. But what did that lo signov mean? If you're a student of the Talmud, you know that lo signov, we have lo signov and lo signovu. And the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that the lo signov of, of the Aseris Adibros is not talking about stealing money. It's not talking about stealing property. It's not talking about stealing divrei Torah or shiurim or benefiting without doing one's part. What is it talking about? It's talking about kidnapping a person. It's talking about kidnapping. So why when we talk about we pierce the ear of the slave who stole and didn't listen to don't steal and then stayed and violated these three questions are so compelling. Number one, why the ear who heard the ear saw what happened to that the whole nation saw the sounds. Number two, Number two, the expression, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, isn't said till later Parshas Bahar. Number three, that which he violated Los Signov is a violation of kidnapping. This evidence if he didn't kidnap anyone, he stole money. He stole money. So what's going on? Answers Rav Druk. We're not talking about hearing with the ear. The Ozen, the ear that heard at our Sinai, don't steal. The ear that heard at our Sinai, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, we're not talking about hearing. 
What it means is the following. The first of the Aserah said, the Ten Commandments was, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, don't have any other gods. Implicit in the first command, implicit in Hashem's instruction, Anochi, I am the Lord your God, I took you out of Egypt, I took you out of slavery. Implicit is, I took you out of slavery, I'm the Lord your God, now you're Avadim to me. So a person who saw these Dibros heard and understood in their heart, it penetrated deep into their soul to realize, I didn't come into this world out of nowhere. I'm not on my own. I'm not independent. I'm not entitled. I have nothing coming to me. It's all from God Almighty. It's only by His goodness and His graciousness go I. And therefore, I serve Him. I'm not here to take. I'm not here to receive. It's not about my entitlements and my rights. It's about my responsibilities. It's about my duty. It's about my obligation. It's about my mission in this world. And all that was implicit in the word Anochi. The moment God opened up and He said, Anochi, me, I'm here. I am the creator. I'm the omnipotent. I'm the infinite one. I am responsible for everything in your life. In that was everything else. So, Ozan Shashama as Arsinai. The ear heard at Arsinai, the third ear. So, Meata Ishlafarsh. It's not the Losignov Aseris Adibros. He needed to hear with his heart. He needed to hear with his heart, not just what was explicitly articulated at Harsinai, but to have a listening heart. To have a listening heart. It's a very powerful of Druk. It's a longer essay. He has more to say, but I want to cover more ground. But the message, the partial perspective for us today is to live our lives with listening hearts, not just to pick up on the signals and the messages that are being articulated explicitly, but to have listening hearts to the world around us, to see Hashem in the people and the things and the experiences in the news, in the weather, in nature, in the world around us, that we will be responsible and we will be accountable, which is essentially what Rav is saying, not only for what we heard explicitly, but neglected or rejected, but we will be responsible even for that which we heard implicitly. For a failure to have a listening heart, a lave shomea, a lave, a heart that is picking up the signal that is being communicated to us from all around. That's what's really going on here in this passage. That's what's really being communicated. Perach of Beis, Pasuk Aleph. Now we get into the long litany of laws of which there are no shortage. We could have chosen from so many. For example, This is the source of, we have a shul that's made up of uh, almost 250 doctors, people in the medical profession uh, in our shul. Those medical professionals are on the forefront uh, who are, who are uh, risking their lives throughout Corona, have been compromising, sacrificing. Thank you so much to the Helprins and the Webermans. Thank you to Benji Fine. Thank you to Rosalie Novick, Nancy Eisenberg, Mark Brandis, Rifke, Israel Shalitsky, and others who are continuing to contribute, Faye Stein, please add your name to that list. Be entered into the raffle. It's a no-brainer. Press donate, brsonline.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. Show your appreciation, be part of this growing community and this growing movement. I can't tell you personally how much I appreciate it. It means the world to me that you come to learn with me and that you enable me to continue to learn with you and others going forward. It really means the world and I appreciate it. So thank you to those who are working on the front lines as medical personnel. But right, you have to do it. A surgeon. Michael Bruce is a surgeon. He cuts people open for a living. Someone else knocks him out and puts him to sleep. I am a similar profession. I always tell the anesthesiologist that they and I are in very similar uh, lines of work. Someone knocks the person out, and then the surgeon comes and takes the scalpel and cuts him open. Cut a person open. Why are you entitled to do that? Moreover, somebody's sick. Why are you entitled to heal them? Maybe that's what God wants for them. Maybe that's the best thing for them. After all, that everything God does is for the best. So it's this passage, the Gemara learns, from here we know that God wants us to learn, to study, to invent, to break through medical uh, progress, and to be able to heal people, to be able to make sick people better, to be able to treat people and to improve them and make them better. It's what God wants. He gives license. Why do we need the license? Isn't it obvious that doctors should be entitled to? So there's a big machlokis, Rashi, Tosos, and the Rambam, what the reason is. Some say the reason is because you're going against the will of God. God determined the person that should be sick. Who are you to make them better? So you need to be given permission. God says, no, no, no. Whatever reason they're sick, but I invite you. I want you to make them better. Take the initiative. Try. Others say the Rambam says because you're violating the prohibition of Chavala. 
you're not allowed to hurt or damage someone. So if you cut them open, let alone give a black and blue mark, you are violating the prohibition of Chavala. Why are you entitled to violate the prohibition of Chavala? Because, a couple of years ago in the Parshat Kshir, we spoke about the uh, statement of the Gemara, the best of doctors are going to what my kids would call H-E double hockey sticks. So why would our rabbis describe the best of doctors? The best of doctors to me are going straight to heaven. Best of nurses, doctors, PAs, uh, nurse practitioners, every medical personnel, they're going straight to heaven, especially for their selflessness over this year. Why would we say they're going straight to Gehenna? Listen to the Pasha Shia from a couple years ago. We dealt with it there. So Perachav Beis, Pasuk Aleph. This is a very important insight over by Soloveitchik. The Pasuk says, what happens if a thief is discovered while they are tunneling or burrowing into your house? You have cameras. When the Torah was given, we didn't know how easy it would be to have these wireless cameras that you can simply put on your home and on your phone be watching and it picks up movement and you can catch a person and you know who's coming in. So someone's trying to break into your home and they're armed and they're a threat and you kill them, then there's no guilt. You did nothing wrong. You are entitled to defend your life. There's a very powerful message that comes from here, says Rabbi Salavechik. Says Rabbi Salavechik. Where did he go, Rabbi Salavechik? He's right here behind me. Says the Rav. The following. Imbamach Teres. The majesty and dignity of a human being expresses itself in the fact that man has inalienable rights. He has the moral right not only to self-defense, but to defend his possessions and to fight for them. If a burglar enters one's home, there will be no danger to the homeowner if the, home, if the owner does not interfere with the burglar. Yet, the Torah gives the homeowner the right to kill the burglar on the assumption that the burglar will kill the homeowner if confronted by him. One may defend his property even if that act of defense results in the act of killing. Did you hear? The Torah is weighing in on what are some contemporary debatable topics. But according to Rabbi Soloveitchik, um, the Torah is saying the following, in this law, in Bamach Teres, that you can hide under your bed, someone's breaking into your home and they just want to take your things. They just want to break into your safe or your vault. They just want to take your jewelry or your cash. They just want to take your family heirlooms or possessions. Someone's breaking into your home, so hide in the bed. Run out the back door. Escape. Let them. What right do you have to confront them? Certainly what right do you have to kill them, to maim them? Let them take your possessions. So the Torah is taking a very strong position here. And the Torah is telling you, you have inalienable rights. You're on your property. You're in your home. Those possessions, that property is yours. And you have a right to defend it. Even if your life is not threatened. Why? Because the assumption is that if there were a confrontation with that burglar, then your life would be threatened. So the, on the assumption that if there were a confrontation with the burglar, your life would be threatened, you're entitled to take out the burglar. The moment the burglar crossed that threshold into your property, you, that burglar forfeited the right to their safety. And therefore, you're entitled to take their life. One may you defend his, act of, his property, even if that act of defense results in an act of killing. Covenantal community is not, now listen to the inside of the Rav. This is Rabbi Soloveitchik, not me. The covenantal community is not a community of the meek. It is not a community that subscribes to turning the other cheek. Covenantal community is often called on to defend itself and affirm his rights. And yet at the same time, the covenantal community displays the trait of sacrificial action. There are times covenantal man is summoned to lead a selfless life. Avram is the exemplar of this duality. On the one hand, he is portrayed as someone who has accumulated wealth. On the other hand, he is ready to give up his only son. Selfhood and selflessness, dignity and sacrificial life are characteristic of the covenantal community. Says Rabbi Soloveitchik, we're striking a balance. On the one hand, we're not these barbarians. We're not aggressors. We don't uh, embrace violence. God forbid we're sensitive and we're selfless and we're mission-driven and we sacrifice and that is an enormous part of who we are. But at the same time, while we're all that, we're not chas v'shalom, God forbid. We're not meek and we're not a pushover and we're not soft. We have the right to defend ourselves. Our guest on Behind the Bima tomorrow night is the great member of Knesset, former minister and candidate for prime minister, Naftali Bennett. He'll be our guest on Behind the Bima. You don't want to miss that conversation with him about his background, about his vision, about his life. He served in Sayyid Makal and other elite commando units in the Israeli army, and he fought. He fought in battles. He risked his own life. And he recently put out a video this week when the international court claims that they're going to evaluate and potentially hold Israel accountable for war crimes. And Naftali Bennett, our guest, put out a video saying, if you do, then put me at the top of the list. 
we did nothing wrong and you would have no jurisdiction and there is no moral army than Israel. And he took out of his pocket, he said, you see this? This is the code of morality of every Israeli soldier. They carried it in their pocket next to their ammunition. It is with them as part of their uniform. And I think this is the beautiful comment here of Rabbi Soloveitchik on Imba Machteras, is the notion that the Jew, whether collectively and nationally in the form of an army, and tune in tomorrow night, 9 p.m., each and every Wednesday night. We have amazing guests on Behind the Bima. We're hitting our 40th episode, and we've had incredible, incredible guests. So we have candidate for Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and even other incredible guests to come in the weeks ahead. If you enjoy Behind the Bima, join the BRS Online Global Community, brs.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. If you do it in the next amount of time, you'll be entered into the raffle. If you're listening later, still join, still give, still do, still show your appreciation, whether for the Parsha here behind the Bima or anything else. So that's what the Rav is describing, Imba Machteras. On the one hand, we're sensitive. On the one hand, we're mission-driven. On the one hand, we're willing to sacrifice. On the one hand, we are the flag of morality. But on the other, we're not meek and we're not weak, and we're not a pushover, and we are able to stand up for, we're able to stand up for ourselves, we're able to stand up for ourselves and to push people back. Perech Beis Pasuk Zayin. Perech Beis Pasuk Zayin. Pasakir is talking about the laws of Shomrim, the laws of guardians. If somebody entrusts another to watch their property or their things, what is the responsibility? We have four types of guardians. We have a Shomer Chinam, Shomer Sachar, a Socher, and a Shoel. The four types of guards, and depending on the benefit that you got, will determine the level of liability that you that you excuse me, that you carry. So if a person gives something to someone else to watch, and then it gets stolen, and you don't find the ganav, you don't find the thief. So then the owner of the object approaches the court, and uh, approaches the court that he had not laid his hand upon his fellow's property. He's got to take an oath that he in fact did not steal, that he is not responsible. Rav Meir Pramishlan, the great Rebbe of, uh, uh, in Hasidus has a beautiful insight. And he says, homiletically, of course, v'nikrav balabais el elohim the balabais comes to, the one who was watching it, the one who was guarding it, who from whom it was stolen, approaches the court, and to say, im lo shalach yado, that he did not um, put his hand, he did not personally benefit or take it, b'melechaz re'ehu. So say, remeir pramishlan to his Hasidim, v'nikrav balabais el elohim don't read it elohim, the court, the judges, but rather, when is a person zocha v'nekrav balabayis el elokim? When do we merit to come close? When do we merit to have a closeness with the Almighty? When do we merit to attach ourselves and glue ourselves and feel connected to Him? Im lo shalach yadobam leches re'ehu. We merit it when? When we don't harm or hurt another person. The prerequisite to a relationship with God is loving His children. If you're not, Derech Eretz is Kadma Torah, we spoke about last week from Rav Nevin Sal so beautifully. Derech Eretz is Kadma Torah. You cannot claim to love God if you're unkind to His children. You can't claim to love me if you're cruel or unkind or mean to my children. You don't love me if you don't love my children. And you cannot claim to love God if you don't love His children. And therefore, V'nekrav balabayis el elokim. You want to become Karov, you want to draw close to God, says Rav Meir Pramishlan, then, Lo shalach yadobam leches re'ehu. Don't ever harm or injure. Don't be cruel. Don't aggravate or agitate a fellow. We're children of Hashem. We're children of Hashem. You can't claim to love me and be cruel to my child. You can't claim to love God and be cruel to another one of his children. We spoke about the great Mabit. That's why the font of the Bein Adam L'Chavero and the Aseris Adibros is much bigger than the font of Bein Adam L'Makom. That's why Derech Eretz is Kadma Latora. You can be scrupulous and vigilant in the minutiae and details of halacha. You could have the longest Shemon Amida. You could finish the entire book of Tehillim twice a day. But if you then go out and gossip, if you then go out and you're rude, if you then go out and make a, you're unkind to people, if you then don't show gratitude and don't do your part and don't reciprocate and don't contribute, then you can't draw close to God. You can't draw close to God. You can't share His Divrei Torah if you didn't do your part in order to enable them to be communicated and shared to begin with. Perech of Beis, Pasuk, Chaf, Dalad. Moving right along. In Kesef Tavasami, one of the laws of Mishpatim, again, we mentioned earlier, the distinction between every secular system of law and the Torah and Parshas Mishpatim and the Vav HaChibor connecting it back to Har Sinai and Parshas Yisro. These aren't just laws about our rights and entitlements. These are laws about how to make not just a not bad society, but how to craft and mold what is actually a good society, a God-like society, a holy society. So one of those things is to lend 
There are people who will hit hard times, who will need money, and we have to generously lend. We have to care. Thank you to the Lisha and to FaceTime. Thank you all for your generosity. So we have to be able to step up and show up. We have to be able to lend. And in the context of this Pasuk, it says, in Kesef Talveh Esami. First of all, it doesn't say im, doesn't mean if. It means when. Because the nature of cycles, of economic cycles, is such that it's not if, but when people will need the one who's on top today could be on the bottom tomorrow. Don't ever, ever take it for granted if you have resources today that you will not be in a position to need the help of someone else tomorrow. So not if, but when, you'll have to lend someone. The poor person with you. Don't be like a creditor. The attitude that we bring, you don't charge interest and you don't pressure. Of course, we have all kinds of laws that dictate our attitude, that govern our attitude when it comes to these loans. Why does it describe the poor person with why is the poor person with me? Why is the poor person with me? I get a knock on my door five times a day from the Shulachim. I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. They're not with me. They need help. They've got some glossy certificate, laminated certificate. Maybe it was this year or ten years ago. Maybe it's genuine, maybe it's not. And if I want to give them, I'm giving them. But why is it imach? Why are they with me? In what way are they with me? Listen to this insight of Rabbi Salavechuk. Based on this Pasuk Rashi comments that one should look upon himself, Imach. You're the poor person. The fact that you're the giver, the poor person is the receiver, is nothing more than a capricious act of fate. Really, you could have been the poor person. What, do you think you're so much smarter? What, do you think that you're so much more entrepreneurial? You think that you're so much more creative? You think that you're so much better that you're in fact the one in the position to give and they're the one receiving? It's all up to Hashem. It's a very fine line. In fact, we gave a shir recently on Shabbos that we know everybody knows it's as difficult to make a shirich as splitting the sea. But the Gemara also says, Parnasa, earning a livelihood, is as difficult as splitting the sea. You could have two people the same IQ, they graduate the same institutions, they have the same level of work ethic, and one breaks through and is a millionaire, and the other is struggling to put food on the table. And we'll say it's Mazel, but Mazel is just another name for God. It's God. God decides and God determines. So don't you dare be arrogant, and don't you dare be condescending, and don't you dare be selfish and, be, and, and give so little Esa'ani imach doesn't mean the poor person with you as in lives in your community, although the poor of our community come first. What it means, ani imach with you means see yourself as the poor person. There's such a fine line between the person who's donating to Tom Shabbos and the person who is being supported from Tom Shabbos. It is such a fine line. So don't ever grow arrogant. And the Rav, somewhat uncharacteristically, tells a story one winter day of Eliechaim Meisels of Lodz went to visit the home of a wealthy manufacturer by the name of Poznansky. And the butler answered the door and this Rabbi Meisels said, I'd like to meet this wealthy man. He needed to raise money to help poor people. And he said, come on in. He wants to meet you in his office. It's warm. It's heated by the fire. And this Rav Meisels said, no, no, I want to meet him right here in the vestibule, the entrance to the home. And they went back and forth and he insisted, I want and must meet him right here. And he came out and they met there and Mr. Poznanski said to him, I'm freezing, I'm shivering. Why can't we go inside? I have a heated home. We could sip hot tea. Come with me inside. And Rabbi Maizel said to him, this Mr. Poznanski, I wanted to meet you here because I wanted you to know the feeling of the cold. I wanted you to shiver and shake. I wanted you to know that discomfort and that fear. I wanted you to be aggravated because that's what the poor people are going through. And I need your help in order to offer them a warm blanket and warm clothing and a shelter and a home. I wanted you to feel it. Historically, Jews have fared poorly when subjected to the trial of wealth. When a Jew acquires excessive wealth, he becomes animal-like. While the nations of the world divert a portion of their wealth towards spiritual matters, towards culture, higher ideals, under similar circumstances, the Jew takes on trappings of vulgar, cynical materialism. And the Rav uh, points to certain psukim to support that. On the other hand, when confronted with the trial of poverty or suffering, Jewish people have fared well. A Jew doesn't spill blood when he's hungry. When he's hungry, he senses the hunger of his fellow. When he's cold, he feels his brother's discomfort. So, esha'ani imach. The poor person with you doesn't mean in your vicinity geographically. The poor person with you means the poor person is you. We have to see ourselves as going through that. We're living in a pandemic time and there are people who are out of a job. There are small businesses who are struggling and suffering. So if you have a decision, if you can take out food and help a local restaurant, because when this is over, do you not want kosher restaurants to eat at and to go to? Small businesses to be there to service us? 
If you have the capacity and you can do, then do now. It is you. It's a fine line between you and that small business or you and the person who's hurting or you and the person who needs the scholarship or the shul dues adjustment or needs to be on Tom Shabbos. It is such a fine line. It's a megagel. It's a wheel. It's an economic cycle that spins. And the one who's on top today could be on the bottom tomorrow. And so while on top, feel the pain and be connected to those who are on the bottom so that you provide and support so even before you support the BRS Global campaign, which you can do by pressing donate or going to brsonline.org slash global, make sure the poor people around us have what they need. They are provided for and they are able to sustain and go on. Perach Chav Beis Pasuk Chav says the following. Chav Beis Chav. No, I'm sorry. Perach Chav Gimel Pasuk Chav Dalad. No. Perach of Gimel Pasachav, sorry, page 436 in the Yorzkos Ton Chumash. I sent an angel before you to protect you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have made, that I have made ready. This is a very strange and peculiar Pasach. It is very, very unusual that this is here. Tucked into our Parsha, in between the litany of laws in the first half of the Parsha and before the story of Nasav and Ishma at the end of the Parsha is an often overlooked and a very curious and peculiar conversation between Hashem and Moshe. Hashem tells Moshe, I'm sending an angel to escort you and to protect you on your journey. Where did this come from? Why does he need an angel? Moshe didn't need an angel until now, and all of a sudden he needs an angel from now. So the Ramban says this is a prophecy that only comes to fruition later. And what's the prophecy? That after Moshe's passing, a guardian angel appeared to Yehoshua, and now Yehoshua, who's not as great as Moshe, has the benefit of the companionship of a guardian angel is going to escort the Jewish people into the land. Azoizak the Ramban, that is the interpretation of the Ramban. But Rashi has a much more sobering suggestion. Says Rashi, this is alluding to the future building of the Chet Egel, the Egel Azahav, and the consequence of Hashem withdrawing. His personal providential care was withdrawn, and instead there's this angel, there's an agent. Hashem says, I can't be around you, I'm not taking care of you, here's a babysitter, here's someone else, here's an angel. Pretty sobering, pretty depressing. Now, I'm not saying I fully understand what it means to have an angel instead of Hashem. I don't know exactly what that means, but I want to ask a simple question. Why now? Why now? The Jewish people are standing at Harsinai, this unprecedented and unparalleled moment of revelation. The celebrated, iconic statement of Nasa Vanishma is in our parsha. Why in the world would God ruin this special moment? We're on a high, and we're spiritually uplifted, and we're excited. Is really now the time to portend and foretell of when a terrible mistake is going to happen, the Chet Egel? You're in an incredible moment. You're on a high. Now is when you interrupt the high. I bring to you that you're going to have a collapse and a crisis, and you're going to make a terrible mistake, and you're going to cheat on God. Why compromise the joyous experience with something that hasn't even happened yet? And perhaps the answer can be found in a ceremony that we've modeled after Har Sinai. Every single time that a chassan and kala, a bride and groom, stand under the chuppah, they are recreating Har Sinai, when the mountain was held over their head like a chuppah. That union, the beginning of a family, embracing that mission, is a recreation and an extension of Har Sinai. They pledge a love and a commitment of nasa and nishma to one another. They say, I'm in, nasa, even before nishma. And the moment of a chuppah is filled with incredible joy. And yet... Very strangely, what's the practice at the end of the chuppah? We break a glass. And many reasons are given for the origin of that custom, worth exploring another time. But one of the most important ones can answer our question. According to some, the reason we break a glass at the chuppah is because it's critically important that before this starstruck, love-struck chassan kala take leave of this most auspicious and joyous moment, this young man and this young woman have to realize that things are going to break. They have to know that obstacles will be encountered, that not everything is going to go according to plan, and that not everything in their life is going to remain whole. When you stand under the chuppah, it's amazing. And you're amazing, and I'm amazing, and everyone's telling us we're amazing. And we've got singers, and a band, and delicious food, and everything's incredible in non-corona times. And it's just amazing, and it's going to stay this way and last this way forever. So what do we do? We break a glass. We smash something. And we show them that things are going to break. There will be broken moments. Things won't remain complete forever. And so, yes, right here and right now, in the, most, in the middle of the most seminal event in human history, Hashem tells Moshe, yeah, right now you're on an incredible high, but I want you to know you're not going to be able to stay there. Life has upside down, ups and downs, triumph and failure, success and disappointment. But you need to know that there's going to be a chay ego and that you're not going to have my providence and everything is still going to be okay. You need to know that the glass is going to break. 
And knowing that you and those around you in our lives themselves cannot and will not be perfect is such a critical importance to finding happiness. That is what happened. You need to know that it's not going to be perfect. Life is not perfect. We're not perfect. You have to let go and let God. And you have to realize that there's a plan and He's in charge and He's in control. And so this Parsha will end with this. This week we begin Parsha Shkol in the first of four readings that we do to lead us up to Pesach. Every man over 20 was obligated to give a half shekel, a weight of silver approximately worth about $4 today. And it was used to operate the Beis HaMikdash. And it required an unusual condition. The rich person couldn't give more, the poor person couldn't give less, everyone had to give the very same amount. And Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal in Likutei Sichos, in volume 31, wonders, why is everyone giving the same amount? Why not the rich person give more? Uh, you don't hear me, as we're promoting BRS Global Community, brsonline.org slash global, I'm not telling everyone give the same $18. No one give more even if you're capable. If you're capable, give $50,000. If you're capable, help us spread Torah even more. There's no equalizer. There's no minimum. We're not telling everyone to give the same amount. So what kind of fundraiser was this? What kind of appeal was this in the Mishkan, in the Beis HaMikdash? So the Rebbe says, because when it comes to the, that which is going to drive the Beis HaMikdash, the contribution of every one of the members has to be equal. Everyone has to realize you're a half. You're not a whole. Every one of us is incomplete. Every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us is inadequate. Every one of us is, is imperfect. We're all a fraction until we combine, until we come together. So, may we all be filled with joy and happiness, the happiness of letting go and the happiness of giving to others. And may we all recognize our own imperfections. The glass of life is going to break. We're only a half shekel. It's only by combining with others that we can become a whole. Thank you to those who generously donated. We'll run the raffle momentarily. It's not too late if you're listening later online or watching later online. Please subscribe on YouTube. Please go to beerosonline.org slash global. Please do your part, any amount, small or large, to help us continue to promote and spread Torah all around us. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m., behind the Bima, the one and only, the great Naftali.